So good. Isn't that awesome, church? Oh, man, week two. Week number two of fasting and prayer. Make sure you go to www.40daystand.ca and check that out. You know, the thing that we are just constantly amazed by uh, with this initiative is that it is so much more than just us. It is more than just ourselves. It is all across this nation and even different parts of the world already. And so it's pretty exciting to see. And so you can celebrate with us and be a part of that. And there's resources there for your family and for you to stay engaged and focused on the kingdom of God. So it's just awesome. Isn't it great to be back to church? Wow. You know, oh, so good. Like, I, our, our staff works hard to, you know, get online services out every week. But I got to say, when we found out that we could meet again this week, like, it didn't matter what had to happen to get Sunday. We were meeting with you on Sunday. And we were just so excited about it. And so I love that we get to work together in a team. And you have a team of pastors and staff here at the church that are working hard each and every week because we value community. We value being together with you. And so thank you for being here today. And uh, I'm just super excited that, uh, that I get to preach today, which is awesome. And uh, we're going to continue our series called The Overcomer as we jump in together today. Now, some of you know that I have a twin brother. Uh, his name is Adam, and uh, he's a great guy, and I, he watched the first service, so I, I'm going to share a little bit of a story at his expense today. But, uh, you know, th- there was a moment a couple weeks ago where he gave me a phone call, and he said, um, hey, Ty, uh, just wondering if you could let me know where you buy your clothes. And I was like, okay, um, yep, yeah, that's fine. I'll, I'll send you some of the stuff that I get and where I get stuff, and I would do a lot of online shopping. Um, and so I said, yeah, I'll send it to you. Okay, great, thanks so much. And I hung up, and it kind of started to sink in a little bit, like the irony of the conversation was really funny, and I'm going to explain to you why that is. When I was about 14 or 15, um, you know, my brother and I, being a twin, um, how should I say this, you, you grow up being conditioned to believe that it's normal to dress alike, right? Uh, as a twin, for those of you who have normal siblings, you don't know what that's all about. Okay, but for being a twin, it's just part of everyday life. Okay, you grow up, your parents think it's awesome to put you in clothes that's going to make you look alike and draw further attention to the fact that, yes, you do look similar, right? It's just part of the deal. And as a twin, I think that that slowly, subconsciously works its way into your mind, and then you become a teenager and you believe that's normal, right? And so you still end up buying some of the same clothes and some, having some of the same tendencies and, and uh, no, we can't hear each other's thoughts, um, but uh, I'd like to say I have a deep intuition of how he's doing. <laughs> so, you know, there's this moment where I'm sitting uh, having breakfast, and I'm about 14, 15 years old, I'm getting ready to go to school, and I'm having breakfast, I'm eating my cereal, and um, I see out of the corner of my eye Adam come down the stairs. Now, I was wearing blue jeans and a blue T-shirt from Walmart. Nothing fancy, just standard comfort over quality, okay? And uh, I'm, I'm, you know, eating there, and I see Adam out of the corner of my eye come to the landing on the stairs. I can still picture this. And he comes to the landing, and all I see is him drop his hands. And he goes, I just want my own friends. And I'm, I stopped eating, and I looked at him, and he's wearing the exact same thing as I'm wearing, and he storms up the stairs. And I remember, like, thinking to myself, going back to eating my cereal, like, was he mad that I was eating breakfast already, or was he mad that we were wearing the same thing, or was he mad that he wanted his own friends? I wasn't really sure what it was. Maybe it was all three, but uh, I remember him going upstairs and being quite upset. You know, being a twin, is, it, it has its challenges, and I think what he was really getting at is that he wanted his own identity. 
He wanted to be separate from me. But I love being a twin. I love the fact that I didn't need a mirror growing up, okay? You could just get dressed in the morning when you share, share a room. You just get out of bed in the morning. You put on your clothes. You just look across the room and be like, how's this going to look? Yeah, pretty good. Okay, perfect. Right? If, if you go for a haircut, you just got to make sure you're not the first one to get your haircut, and then you can decide if you want to change things up. Right? <laughs> you, you can make that decision. I was telling Allison between services that it was great clips. It was a number two on the side, Caesar cut on the front, right? Like that was just what it was. And Adam and I would get the same style. You know, being a twin and having a sibling, it's important what you wear matters. The way you dress makes a difference. And for, you would probably recognize that it does for your life as well. It was a hilarious moment though, and the irony was so funny when he called me asking for advice about this, because I thought to myself, he's going to end up wearing the same clothes as me, and this is like 16 years later, and I'm going to love every minute of it, and I'm going to tell him, I just want my own friends, <laughs> and uh, that's where we're going to leave that. But I've never really considered myself much of a, a leader when it comes to fashion. It takes me a lot of work to get cleaned up. And I'm not saying that to, to be prideful in any way. I'm, I'm saying that because, you know, growing up in my family, we never really placed a lot of value on name brands. And so a lot of the things that I had growing up, we always had, you know, new shoes to go to school and new things. Uh, you know, it wasn't ever that we were like short of anything we needed, but it just wasn't, the importance wasn't there on spending crazy amounts of money on a brand, on something, right? Recognizable. And, you know, people are different and, and value different things, and that's okay. But the older that I've got, there's a little bit of a challenge. I'm a little bit of a huskier guy, okay? And so finding clothes that fit is really, really hard for me. And uh, I'll be honest that I look at clothing as a depreciating asset, okay? Don't invest and you won't be disappointed <laughs> is basically what I think, right? Invest as little as you can to get by. Um, don't spend money if you don't have to on clothing, because it's not going to fit anyways. You do your first wash, and a t-shirt turns into a crop top on me, okay? It just, I don't know what I learned wrong in my life, but laundry, is, I just need some help, okay? So you can send an email this week to me <laughs> with some instructions. That'd be great. Um, but anyways, that's what happens when you buy cheap stuff. You know, as I look around the room, it would be easy for me to take a look at what you're wearing and maybe make some judgment calls. Maybe make, have some perceptions about who you are, where you come from, or what you value. I'm not, I'm not going to do that this morning because I love you too much. But um, there's an interesting thing. There's a study that was done by New York University and Princeton University. And they, they presented their findings on how economic cues can affect our perceptions. And in a series of nine different studies, community members and undergraduate students were presented with pictures of random faces paired with either expensive or cheap upper body clothing. And they were asked to judge these people's competence. How many of you would like that? If we just like, as you leave today, you'll be judged on your competence based on what you're wearing, right? So in all investigations, faces paired with richer clothing were judged as more competent. Even when the instructors warned participants to ignore clothing in their judgments of competence. Wow. At the same time, judgment aside, clothing plays an important role in how we recognize people. A business person probably has a specific look, a specific style, maybe a suit, maybe a dress shirt, maybe a tie. A policeman wears a uniform. Someone who is an athlete maybe has a sporting outfit or a, a jersey, sporting outfit, a jersey, right? Um, <laughs> You know, there's a, a definite look and appearance 
to them. Clothing matters. Pastor Jeremiah Stepik transformed himself into a homeless person and went to the 10,000-member church that he was to be introduced as the head pastor at that morning. He walked around his soon-to-be church for 30 minutes, and only three people said hello. He asked people for change to buy food. No one in the church gave him change. He went into the sanctuary to sit down in the front of the church and was asked by the ushers if he would please sit in the back. He greeted people to be greeted back with stares and dirty looks, with people looking down on him and judging him. And as he sat down at the back of the church, he listened to the announcements and such. When all of that was done, the elders came onto the platform and began to introduce with excitement the new pastor to their congregation that morning. We would like to introduce to you Pastor Jeremiah Stepik. The congregation erupted in applause and excitement as they were receiving their new pastor. The homeless man stood up began walking down the aisle, and slowly the clapping faded away, and all eyes went on him. He got up to the altar, took the microphone from the elders who were in on it, and paused for a moment. Then he recited this. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. After he recited this, he looked toward the congregation and told them all what he had experienced that morning. Many began to cry. Many heads were bowed in shame. He then said, Today I see a gathering of people, not a church of Jesus. The world has enough people, but not enough disciples. When will you decide to be a disciple? He then dismissed the service for that week. Watch out for Pastor Greg next week. Just that's all I'm saying. <laughs> keep your eyes peeled in the lobby when you come in. If someone asks you for something, just, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. You know, whatever you need to do, just be attentive. I read this story, okay? I read this story, and I, it's easy for me to say that I, I wouldn't be one of those people. It's easy for me to say I, I wouldn't ignore that man. But in all honesty, the more that I reflected this last week, the more that I prayed about it, the more I realized that I have been that man, that I have been that person. I know that I've done that before. See, it forces us to acknowledge the parts of us that actually need to be uncovered. We're here this morning with a, a growing desire for intimacy with God and with others, which is awesome. That's a great step in the right direction. But I feel the Holy Spirit urging us toward a deeper level of discipleship. The kind of discipleship that changes us from the inside out to be more like Christ. And we need to be uncovered before we can be covered again. We're in our series called Overcomer, and to be an overcomer in this world, we've got to realize that the overcomer's wardrobe is not something to be attained, but something we've already been given access to. 
See, accessing it is difficult because it requires an act of undress. It requires an act of vulnerability and a willingness to say, I am not enough, but God, you are. The clothing we wear is just as important as what we choose to take off and set aside. So would you pray with me as we start today? Our sermon called The Overcomer's Wardrobe. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning wanting to be a, a group of people, a community of people who love you and know you more. So God, with that in mind today, I pray, God, that you would just begin to peel back the layers of our heart. God, that we would be open to what it looks like to follow you and know you more. We pray this in your name. Amen. So in the same way that plants grow when they have the proper amount of sunlight and water, there's a connection between the location, the proximity of the plant and the proximity of the source. The same is true with God. Proximity to the source matters. If we want to grow, if we want to bear fruit, we've got to maintain proximity to the source of that growth. The further away we are, the less we reflect the fullness that was intended. Fruit comes as we abide. And the definition of abide is to bear patiently, to endure without yielding, to withstand, or to await. There's a process of abiding in God where we are in a constant tension of both taking off our old sin clothes and putting on our new life clothes. And this occurs only in the presence of God. Church, it's about being actively involved and committed to being in the presence of God. Of God. And I'm going to share with you four ideas today. Number one is this. We see this right from the beginning. We see Adam and Eve created in the image of God. At creation, man was clothed with righteousness, glory, and beauty of God. Okay, but they were naked, right, Pastor Tyler? Yeah, they were naked. They were, they were absolutely naked. But we read in Genesis 1, 27, we read this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What a reflection. What a reflection they had. They were created in the image of the creator. No matter how many times I read this, this specific creation is so specific, is so significant, specifically man and woman, is because God created covenant with them. God established something with them. From the very beginning of time, God designed us to be in proximity to himself so that we would reflect his majesty to the world. See, Adam didn't do anything to earn his position. He was established. He was created to abide in God. Isn't it fitting, though, that God then establishes the parameters in which the covenant life should be lived? The point is that God initially clothed Adam and Eve in a spiritual garment, a spiritual garment that enabled them to be in covenant with him. And having been formed and created and placed in the garden, God is very specific saying, here is where you will live. Here is where you will abide in me. Proximity matters. Even though they were naked, they felt no shame. Why? Because they were clothed in righteousness. They had right standing with God. So the significance of the sin that took place by eating from the tree wasn't just the sin itself, but the actual covering up of themselves that occurred following. In Genesis 3, 1 to 6, we read this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, 
Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. See, Adam and Eve became aware of their nakedness after they committed the sin of eating the forbidden fruit. And this awareness caused them to immediately attempt to rectify the situation. Anyone else do that? Anyone else ever sin and then try to immediately fix it? Try to immediately cover up? Try to immediately do whatever it takes, whatever we can do to make it okay? They constructed garments of fig leaves to try and cover their own nakedness, their own sin, their own shame. This leads to my second point in this, in that the fall, in the fall... Adam stripped himself and all of his descendants bare of the righteousness and glory that he had possessed. This is what sin does. This is what it does. It forces us to try and cover ourselves. When we enter into activity or decision-making outside of righteousness that we're intended to wear, we become naked. We become exposed, uncovered. So the question is, why did they consider their nakedness to be a problem? They were naked before. They saw each other naked. God saw, them, God saw them naked. There's nothing to indicate that this kind of nakedness was a sin. Or else they would have been sinning from the very moments of creation. Furthermore, if modesty was the issue, why did God not accept the fig leaf coverings? Physical nakedness wasn't the issue. And the manner in which God solved the problem demonstrates this to be the case. Scripture says this in Genesis 3, 21, that God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. God had to kill to sacrifice an animal in order to show Adam and Eve how to make atonement for sin. It was only after atonement was made that Adam and Eve could regain the covenant relationship that had been lost. And this reconciled them back to God. Their clothing became an ever-present reminder of the atonement that had been made on their behalf and the new covenant with God. Sin separated. Proximity was compromised. The first Adam uncovered. But yet God established an incredible promise here at the beginning. In order to abide, we have to remain close to the source. Anyone else reach for fig leaves when you sin? I do. Constantly concerned of, does this fit? Is this the, you know, is it, is it, is it accentuating the right things? Am I, is the shape correct? Like, we constantly try to cover ourselves up and make it do on our own. This will work. This will last. It's not meant to. Why do we try to cover ourselves when there's an available covering from the Lord? By nature, we seek to cover ourselves. We have this habit of trying to do more in order to be better. <laughs> right? And I understand, you guys are great people. 
right? Our intentions can be pure, and the motives are good, and what we want to try to do the right thing in order to try and be a better person, but it's even more simple than that. We even complicate that much. (laughs) See, the overcomer is a person who understands the need to be more like Christ. I've mentioned it already, already, but the proximity in which we live our lives to God greatly influences the understanding and awareness of the wardrobe that is available to us. Covering doesn't occur by doing more. It occurs by being in the presence of God. In order to be in right standing with God, understanding the things that can compromise that, the proximity or or challenge our ability to abide in Him, we need to begin to remove some ill-fitting clothing. So we read about this in Colossians. That we need to do this. We need to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Listen to this. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Do you see that? Do you see that the removal of the fig leaves, this is the clothing that we need to take off. This is significant. The Bible is incredible. It's incredible. All throughout, we read, for instance, in Genesis 35, verse 2, Jacob's instructing his household to put on clean clothing prior to making covenant with God. There's an uncovering before a covering. Then after the exodus of children from Israel from Egypt, we again find clothing being cleansed prior to making covenant with God. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated them. And they washed their garments. See, God told the people of Israel to wash their garments as part of the preparation for his arrival at Mount Sinai. And for the establishment of the covenant with Moses. Without clean garments, which symbolized their right standing, their righteousness... The covenant could not be established. The Bible is so good. In Zechariah 3, we read the account of Joshua, the high priest, who had filthy garments, and they're removed from him, and he's left standing in pure vestments. In the midst of this clothing change, Joshua is actually told by the angel of the Lord that his iniquity has been taken away from him. Once his clothes are pure, symbolizing the removal of his iniquity, God says to him this, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. While his garments were filthy, Joshua couldn't have relationship with him, but once his garments were cleansed, God granted him access as long as he walked in God's ways. It's an incredible exchange. Even in 2 Corinthians, Paul He further connects the dots of clothing when he essentially says this, I'm warning you, church, don't be found naked. Don't be found naked. You must be clothed. 
Because you are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm saying to you today, church, warning, don't be found naked. Don't be found naked. You have to clothe yourself with the righteousness of Christ. The time is coming. Paul's point was not that they needed physical clothing. Rather, he was telling them to make sure that they were in right standing with God at the judgment. Sounds like a similar concern with Adam and Eve, doesn't it? Were they not afraid that God would find them naked? So what? They sewed fig leaves together. Paul is warning them here. This is the best part. This this is what it comes down to. Number four is this. By grace, God comes in the work of redemption to clothe man with the righteousness of Christ. Oh, it's so good. You know, when we look back at Genesis, we look at the beginning, we see that there's an incredible moment, an incredible time where God actually reveals the gospel to Adam and Eve by covering them and reestablishing a covenant, a promise with them and saying that, yes, there is atonement. You do not have what it takes to pay it. I will pay it for you and I will clothe you. Wow, it's amazing. It's justification. And this occurs on basis on Jesus' perfect life and then ultimate sacrifice, his death. You know, the, the cool thing is, is that Adam and Eve had an opportunity to witness God doing this directly. But when Jesus died, was crucified for us, by faith now, we have to live the same way. We have to live in the same way that Adam and Eve Seeing God do this in front of them, removing and clothing them again, we have the opportunity to remove and clothe again with Christ. When we abide, we flourish. Jesus said this in John 15. He said, abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding is the secret to bearing. Abiding in Christ is the secret to bearing fruit for Christ. I love this idea that the first Adam, Adam in the garden, separated us. The proximity was compromised, uncovered us. The second Adam covers us and brings us back into proximity, returns us, and by abiding in him, brings us close to the Father. Church, we have access to the overcomer's wardrobe as a result. The Bible is laid out so well in that we read earlier on about the things we're to take off, and then check this out immediately following, we read this in verses 12 to 17 in Colossians 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, 
Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The byproduct of abiding in Christ is the fruit of the Spirit. As we are uncovered, we then begin to resemble Christ-likeness, and we can be covered in the righteousness and right standing of God. It's about being actively involved and committed to being in the presence of God that results in, in us being changed and clothed in the overcomer's wardrobe. We need to ask ourselves today, it's a tough question, are you bearing the fruit of a Christ-like life? How's your conduct? How do we act? Does it reflect the redemptive work of Christ in our life? A harder question to ask even than that is, what does the world see from you? It's easy to live in the old fig coverings. The things we try to cover our shame and our guilt with are ill-fitting. They don't do the job and they won't last. But God has clearly demonstrated that over time, throughout history, and in our lives from the very beginning from creation, that he desires covenant with you and I. He accomplishes this fully and completely by sending his son to cover us, to bear the weight of sin and death, to atone for our sin that should have been ours from the very moment of creation, essentially. But God had a plan. We were never meant to be overcome. We were meant to be overcomers. We are meant to breathe, to live, to work, and operate in this world set apart in the righteousness of God. That is how we can overcome sin. Nothing we do is enough, but Jesus is enough. I'm going to ask the band to come as we close in a song today. And I love this song, and it's, it's called Reckless Love, and you probably know it very well. But the song took on new meaning to me this week as I began to think about this message and what the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And I love the lyrics of it. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. <laughs> Before I did anything, you were singing over me, God. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. Do you understand, church, that it is not about what we can do, but it is about what God has already done through his son. That's so good. We have an opportunity as a church and as a community of people to live in this new clothing, to put on the clothes of the overcomer and not grow weary in this world and not grow weary in the different situations and challenges that come. But God designed us to overcome. But we need to do that by being in proximity and close to him. Why don't you stand with us as we sing this song together? Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind. 
I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you, Lord. When I was your foe, when I was your foe, still your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, yeah. There's no shadow you won't light up, mount you won't climb up, coming after me. Come on. No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mount you won't climb up, coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. One more time, no shadow. No shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Grace is the key, church. Grace is the help that's given to us by God because God desires us to have it, not because of anything we've done to earn it. We are overcomers, 
And each and every one of us have the opportunity to put on the wardrobe of an overcomer and the clothing of Christ. You know, Jesus tells a story of the prodigal son. And what I love about the story of the prodigal son is the father in Jesus' story does more than simply accept his son back. The father orders that a robe, shoes, and a signet ring be brought back from the house. When God meets us with open arms and embraces us, and when we come with a heart of repentance and surrender to him, God does the same thing for each and every one of us. We are given new clothes, the ring of sonship, the robe of Christ's righteousness. And we can enter his house without shame because God is our father. Jesus is our savior and the Holy Spirit is our guide. God invites us home. Our filthy, ragged sin rags can be replaced with a brand new shiny robe. We can be transformed inside and out in order to transform the world. Wow. Would you pray with me? God, it would be so easy to leave today the same that we came. But Father, I pray for each and every person here today that even if just taking a moment of pause before we walk out today would force us to get to our knees and, res- and look to you, Father, and recognize the areas of our life that we need to begin to remove some ill-fitting clothing. God, I pray, God, that you would speak to each person here today with great love and compassion and kindness, Father. That from the very beginning, from the beginning of time, you promised that you would have us, that you would take care of us, that you would give us a way to have everlasting life. So if there's anybody in the room here today just with their eyes closed and you have yet to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you just raise your hand? Even anybody online today. Church, would you repeat after me? Dear God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for sending your son. I am not enough, but you are enough. I want to live as an overcomer and wear the clothing of the righteousness of Christ. Forgive me of my sins. Clothe me again. We pray this in your name. Amen. Church, you are loved. You are blessed. I pray that this week in each and every moment and second of every day that you see the faithfulness of God at work in your life and that we continue to see the world changed around us as you do so. We love you. Can't wait to see you back next week. Bring a friend. Tell someone about church. We love you guys. Have a good Sunday.